but um, we're gathering in the morning. This is like a new thing. Um, back in California, I'm told constantly that uh, one o'clock is too early for most college students, but I guess not in the East Coast. So, um, all right. How many of you are from like out of state? Out of state, you're not from, from these parts. All right, how many of you, you're not even from, uh, from the Northeast, New Jersey and North, like you're, you're further away from, wow, okay, all right. How many of you are about to experience your first autumn in, in, in New England? It's supposed to be the most beautiful, like, I mean, it is the nature feature out here because summer's awful, winter's long and awful, and then you get two weeks of spring, and then you get like maybe one week of the brilliant colors of autumn, where the leaves um, scream and die and turn bloody red. Uh, but to us, it's beautiful. So hope you enjoy that. Hope you can catch that. Uh, we've been trying for many years, Kelly and I. Uh, we, we miss it. We're either too early or a little too late. So this year, hopefully. So this year, we said, OK, we're going to be in New Hampshire and we're gonna wait for the foliage to come, <laughs> right? Because chasing foliage has been tough, and um, none of you know what I'm talking about. You're so young, like, I, I don't know what it is about getting older, you, like foliage really appeals to you. I think maybe it's because we see it reflected, just uh, like, it's like a reflection of our lives, you know? Or fading or something, so you're not really interested in this anyway. So ironically, we thought, okay, for sure, we're gonna, because usually around Columbus Day, when it peaks out here, but that's when we're going to be in Dallas. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, okay, there's a Texan, can't help it, but <laughs> just, but anyway, I think Texans are the most enthusiastic about their state, which is like a constant source of mystery to me, why? Um, all right, so here, here's, a, here's a prompt to get your, get your mind going for today's message. Um, how do you get to know somebody? Okay, I know that's broad, uh, just go for it, talk to each other, like how do you get to know somebody? So, so there are a lot of ways, right? There are a lot of ways you can, um, you can stalk them, you can watch them, you can talk to them. Um, 
You can look up there, like right now, you, what, what you, got, you look up their social media, whatever, and that's not an accurate representation, right? Like if people dug up all your social media stuff, would that be an accurate representation of you? What if we went biological and somebody got a printout of your DNA? You know, all the, all the little rungs on the DNA ladder. And Dan Wong, you know all about this. Does that tell you anything interesting about a person? Probably somewhat, probably somewhat, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, don't ask him. Like, he's all into AI and, like, bio stuff, and he'll tell you. And anyway, all right, so, so how, do you know, how do you get to know someone? I think, so, like, it has, to, it has a lot to do with that person's willingness uh, and, I guess, in some ways, ability to reveal themselves to you, right? Although... Although that's tough, like, you know, you want to try to reveal who you are, like, I really want you to get to know me, so here I go. And I'm like, I'm all ears, you know? Okay. <laughs> what would you say? You're like, oh, gee, I don't know. You figure me out, right? Uh, so I think the answer is you need to get to experience someone uh, over time, and particularly, I would say, watch how they treat other people, right? Okay, so the question um, is there God? And the question, what's he like? What do you think is the more important question? Well, logically, if there is no God, who cares what he's like, right? Um, but emotionally, I think the questions are really tied together a lot. Like, if there is a God, but he's someone... That's, you know, and fill in the blank with your, like, most grotesque, stereotypical picture of um, religion. Now, he's all about that, then maybe I don't want to really find out if he's there, right? So, so, I, so I think it's mixed. I think it's mixed. Um, so we're going to delve into some of that today. Um, I think this is the most important question. What, what is God like? What is God like? And um, sorry, I need to cough. All right, so what is God like? Um, in the Bible, in the New Testament, um, the answer to that is what? What is God like? What's the answer to that in the Bible? Um, it's Jesus. Right? You know the saying, a picture paints a thousand words? Well, a life paints like a billion words, and a life fully lived uh, in, in the midst of, uh, of a lot of pressures, uh, with, with a lot of people around, uh, and the portrait of Jesus, and the, and the Bible says, you want to know what God's like? This is what God's like. Jesus himself said, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay? So, so we're going to look at this text, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34, and we're going to look at it, with, you know, with, with, with this in mind. Uh, wh what is God like? What is God like? Uh, so, Let's look at this text together. Um, and when Jesus crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. 
great crowd gathered around him, uh, great crowd thronged about him. So, uh, you know, you would miss this, but it, there, it's significant that there's a crowd, crowd, uh, crowd. In the midst of the crowd, Jairus comes, and what drives him to Jesus is his desperate need. Jairus is a synagogue ruler, part of the religious leadership, who uh, view Jesus negatively, to put it mildly. So Jairus would normally align himself with his reference group and not have anything to do with Jesus, would look down on him or uh, consider Jesus um, his enemy. And yet he comes to him, and he comes to him quite dramatically. He falls at Jesus' feet. Why? Because as accomplished as he is, his little girl is dying. In the Gospel of Luke, we're told that she's 12 years old, and her, his only child. Uh, this, this is a very tragic situation. And um, it's true to life that it doesn't matter how accomplished you are, you can't guard against life. And life, in some ways, is suffering. Life is suffering. Uh, no matter how, you, how well you shield yourself, uh, you're going to die and all your loved ones are going to die. Right? Let's just, like... Okay, that's bleak. I'm sorry. You know, you come to church to be uplifted, and here we are. But, you know, there's no uplift without truth, right? So, so I, like, you all look really stiff right now, like, because all of you have your masks on. I know behind your mask, you're, like, beaming at me. Uh, but, but it, like, ain't that the truth, okay? Turn to one another and say, ain't that the truth, or some version of it, according to your grammar. We're all going to die. Come on. Okay. So here, so, so, so what drove Jairus to Jesus is his desperate situation. You say, of course, of course. Like, you know, you're that desperate. You'll try anything. Okay. So is that an exceptional limit situation? Or is that more like typical of life? And the rest of life, we're sort of clueless, right? In other words, what drove Jairus to be this humble before a uh, country rabbi who's not credentialed? right? But he knows that he's a wonder worker, and he comes to Jesus at the risk of his reputation and falls at his feet. Is Jairus's humility something exceptional because of his current situation, or is that kind of humility appropriate for all of us? In other words, humility is not so much a virtue. It's just wisdom. It's just wisdom. power outage or something. Okay, we're back. And you didn't do anything to cause that to happen. Yeah, you weren't doing anything, and it just, I just healed it. <laughs> Anybody have a device that needs healing? It's just, come to Jesus. <laughs> so, Jairus is not supposed to seek out Jesus, but this is a picture of human frailty. Right? And of course, you know, we, we can afford to ignore it because statistically we're going to be okay another day. And so we keep uh, the terror of our precariousness away. And the terror of the precariousness um, and your helplessness and your weakness to really genuinely protect anyone that you love. Life is beyond our control. And if you think about it, it's really frightening. So again, humility is not so much a virtue to cultivate as just wisdom, like just seeing life as it is. 
And if that's the case, then I think it behooves us all to try to emulate Jairus' humility. Jairus, his desperate situation is his little girl is dying. That may never happen to you. But as I said, we're all dying. And I don't know how many of you here, I don't know your spiritual backgrounds, but uh, I, I just want to plead with you um, to seek Jesus like Jairus did if you haven't yet. And obviously you're here in some ways, I'm preaching to the choir, but you know, you might be here and you, like you don't, you, you haven't decided on the God question. Even if you grew up in the church, like there, there's a time when like existentially for yourself, you need to decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to, to, to risk my life and hang my life on this proposition that Jesus is who he says he is. Like, why should, you, why should you decide that? Why should you consider that to be of utmost importance? Because like Jairus, we're all in a desperate situation. Life is fleeting. Youth is more fleeting still. All right, so, but, but Jairus is not the main topic for today. Just in case you're, you're thinking, I'm about done. I'm about to get started. So Jesus, so here's this important man, synagogue ruler. He comes to Jesus, desperate situation. Jesus says, Look, let's go. Did you know that Jesus never turned down anybody? His life is full of interruptions. Whoever came to him, he said, let's go. So he's, he's on his way to Jairus' daughter. There's a great crowd around him. This is Jairus' hometown. Everybody's thinking, oh, Jairus' little girl. He's a popular man. Uh, the role of synagogue ruler was an elected role. Um, it was a very democratic institution, the synagogue. So he was a, a, a well-liked person. Of course, his little girl, uh, it would have been heartbreaking for everyone. So everybody's going. This is now a scene. Jesus, is, what is he going to do? He's on his way. Uh, and he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman. There was a woman. Jairus. Male, accomplished religious leader, a woman, what kind of woman? Who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She's got a hemorrhaging disease, right? She's bleeding and it won't stop. So she's probably pale, emaciated, and it's been going on for 12 years. Maybe she was at one point a woman of means, but not anymore. Because we read, who had suffered much, suffered much under many physicians, and has spent all that she had, and was no better but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. All right. This is the main character that I want to I delve into today. Um, a woman who has this, this incurable disease, and she went to many doctors. Uh, instead of you know, getting better, she grew worse. Uh, she spent all of her fortune, and so now she's sick and, and desperate and, and hopeless and, and penniless. Um, 
and, and now she comes to Jesus. And I, I just want to pause here. It suffered much under many physicians. Physicians, they're supposed to be the experts, but instead of helping her, uh, she grew worse. You know, she tried uh, the usual therapy. She tried the, ex the experimental therapies. You know, she had a, a Chinese auntie who said, you got to try deer antler and herbal. She did that. She did the organic. She did the Indian stuff. I mean, and she lost all her money. It's a long story, right? The experts have failed her. And I, I see how true to life this is. It's ironic. You're not supposed to suffer under physicians, and yet you end up doing so. I think there's a massive abandonment of experts in our society because we're growing cynical about, about their prescriptions. I think nowhere is this more true than on a college campus. And I don't know if, if, you're, um, if you're exposed to any of this. You, know, you might not be uh, you know, in the liberal arts. But uh, man, like, like the, the, the authorities, the, the high priests of, of culture making in our era, they reside in the universities. And what is it that they do? They reject all traditional virtues. They teach you a tale of cynicism, tearing down all past heroes, and then telling you, you're it. You're it. You choose. You can choose anything you want. You can choose your identity. You can choose your destiny. You can choose meaning for yourself. And um, you don't need guidance. And anybody that would purport to give you any kind of guidance. You know, they just want power over you. It's, it's a power analysis of all relationships, leaving everybody suspicious, cynical, and then telling you, hey, you have what it takes. You know, like you can heal yourself. And it sounds like a liberating message. And, and, and I think, you know, when you're, when you're young, you kind of eat that up for a while, right? Because you're flush with your own sense of possibilities. And, and then you realize, wait, uh, this, is, this, this is leaving me bereft of any guidance. And it's a, I think it's a massive abandonment of everyone uh, toward everyone. It's, it's massive mutual abandonment leading us to feel very, very isolated and, and alone and, and totally responsible to make up our identity, meaning, purpose, our own um, sense of values and even our own sense of morality. Um, Against all of this, uh, I would suggest to you there are fixed realities, there are fixed truths that are true for everyone, for all time. How about what I started out with, that we all die? We're all mortal. How about this? We're all corrupt inside. We're all corrupt inside. Man, if, if people knew our heart, yeah, that would, that would make you more than cringe. Um, in the book of Revelation, it said, it, it said the feeling is something like this, to, to, to tell the mountains to fall on me to hide me. Um, yeah, there's, there, there's a, a monstrosity of darkness and twistedness inside every one of us, which is why we're so keen on maintaining an image and which is why we're so keen to make sure that, you know, you have the right thoughts about me. So we're all mortal. We're all sinners. There's a God who made us, who wrote his laws in our hearts. Um, these are some of the firm truths that once you accept, you can start building a life instead of trying to build personally relevant truths that nobody else acknowledges, making you feel utterly alone. So back to the story. Um, she had gone to many experts uh, and spent all her money, you know, um, 
translate that to, to, to us, I guess, it would be to spend all our time and all our resources and energies uh, going to many experts and only got worse. Um, then we read this ex extraordinary thing. She heard reports about Jesus, and that was good enough for her to do this amazing thing in a crowd that is thronging around Jesus. Somehow, somehow she decides, I'm going to get to him. I'm going to touch the edge of his cloak. Why the edge of his cloak? Jairus marched right up to him. I mean, sure, Jairus is humble. He fell at his feet, but he marched right up to him, not her, right? Because this is what disease does to you, especially this kind of disease. This is a bleeding disease, and if you have a discharge of blood, not only, um, you know, you had blood, but you are ceremonially unclean. You weren't to come to, to make any offering, and you weren't to touch anybody else, and this woman has been this way for 12 years. So, um, it's cruel. It's a disease, but it's also defiling, and then it, it, it makes her feel worthless and unwanted, right? That's the state she's in. She's not exactly going to march up to Jesus and say, hey, can you heal me, right? She's, go she's going to sneak behind uh, because her, her view is he, nobody's gonna do, nobody important is going to do this for me willingly, right? But with tremendous determination, she manages to get through that throng and touch the edge of his cloak. Um, and then Jesus does uh, the, the thing that she's most horrified by. He stops and says, who touched me? Right? And, um, and his disciples very helpfully say, Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Like, why are you stopping? Let's go, let's go. Let's, let's do this fantastic healing in front of all of this crowd at this important man's house. And Jesus completely ignores you know, their very obvious, unhelpful remark and keeps looking around. Who touched me? And there's only one person in the crowd who knows the meaning of that question, right? She knows what he means um, because she's the one that touched him meaningfully. So now, before we talk about her, let's talk about the crowd a little bit. Like everybody's touching you, but nobody's touching him meaningfully. What is their main contribution? In fact, what is the main contribution of this figure called the crowds around Jesus throughout a lot of Jesus' stories? It's to obscure people's view of Jesus. People want to see Jesus, but there's a crowd. So then it takes Zacchaeus to climb a tree to get up above the crowds, to get a look at Jesus. The crowds... Um, I, think, I think the same thing happens today. People have a hard time seeing Jesus for the crowds. You know, there seems to be all of these people like hanging around Jesus and they seem to broadcast to the rest of the world. It's all sort of meaningless. We're sort of part of a mob. Doesn't make a bit of difference in my life. I go to church and you know, I'm, I'm just as untransformed and just as typical as everybody else, chasing what the world chases, behaving in exactly the same way. And, and the net message to perhaps a, a, somebody who's actually in touch with his or her frailty and saying, well, maybe Jesus, maybe God. And, and, and then there's this crowd around Jesus that seems to Make it hard for people to really know what Jesus is like. 
As you look at this text, did you know that one, one of the metaphors of, for Scripture is a mirror? As you look at this text, can you relate to Jairus? I've got a lot going for me, but, but, there, there's, but, but I, I'm utterly vulnerable. There, there are questions I can't answer. The questions of eternity occasionally haunt me. Can you relate to Jairus? I'm seeking position or I have it, prestige, and it means nothing because ultimately I, my life is this fragile. I am this weak. I'm this powerless. Can you relate to Jairus and then approach life with this level of openness and humility? Or can you identify with this woman whose life is like slowly ebbing away and it's a picture of what sin does to people sort of your vitality, slowly ebbing away, your innocence, slowly being tarnished. These two, their intense helplessness, help them come to Jesus. Can you identify with them? Or are you the crowd? I think that's the challenge of this text. You got Jairus, powerful man. You have this woman who the world thinks is just kind of like a throwaway person. And they're both fragile. And they are both humble. And they're both seeking Jesus. And then you got the crowd. And to live as a crowd is to live in the most meaningless way. So Jesus, he pauses. It's a moment, right? Everybody's following Jesus. He pauses. He looks around. People are giving him space. Like you, you, you picture a, an opening in front of Jesus as he looks around. Why is he doing this? The woman, it says, it says, knowing what had happened, came in fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Like, I'm in trouble. You, you can tell a lot about her state and her view of herself from this. Jesus is not about to yell at her. Jesus doesn't want her to go away yet. Like, no, 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 no. Who touched me? I want to hear from you. I want to know your story. How do we know that her story, right? All, this, all the details about she's been bleeding for all these years. Um, Luke tells us it's, or, or, or our text tells us it's 12 years. And she suffered under, like, can you imagine that story? She suffered under many physicians, and instead of getting better, it got worse. I don't know if you've been around, like, grandparents. Um, I'm, a grand, I'm a grandfather. Um, I, I noticed that as I get older, my friends, and, and I'm, I'm listening to this, and I'm participating in this, and my friends are talking about blood pressure medication. And, um, how, how, and I'm like, we sound like a bunch of old guys. And then I realize we are a bunch of old guys. You know, and, and, and people, like, this is a long story, in other words, right? They can tell you about their, and they'll sometimes lift a shirt. Yeah, here's my surgery. Like, oh, that's TMI. I don't want to see that. How do we know this story? Because Jesus didn't want her to go away. She wanted, he wanted her to tell her story. It's like the crowd empties out, and Jesus is asking this question, who touched me? She comes forward thinking she's in big trouble. And then, and then Jesus says, what happened? 
and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. What's Jairus feeling right now? Like, hurry up, woman. <laughs> Net it out, get to the point, right? When's the last time she got to tell her whole story? Yeah, she, she, she didn't refine the story into a two-minute version. And she's probably stammering it out. And Jesus is looking at her. And Jesus is listening to her so that she gets her whole story out. To, to be attended to, to pay attention to your story, to be so curious. And she gets to tell her whole story how she lost her fortune going to these many physicians. To be heard like this, I think, I think is a great act of uh, honoring, loving, giving someone dignity. And everybody's watching this. Everybody's watching this. And at the end of this long story, Jesus says, daughter, daughter, daughter. Did you know this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus ever addresses somebody as daughter? It's usually woman. Just woman, you know. She says, daughter. What's, what's on everybody's mind right now as this woman is telling her whole story? Everybody's thinking Jairus' daughter. Jairus' only child, that, that precious thing to this godly, respectable man, his daughter, so precious, his only daughter. Jesus wants everyone to know that to God, this woman is as precious as Jairus' daughter is precious to Jairus. Jesus wanted her to know that she was not in trouble. That it wasn't some involuntary mechanistic thing like she snuck a healing out of him. Think about this. I once thought about how she would have told her story to her friends. You know, she, she, she finally is restored. She's healthy. She goes back to her friends and family. And if she had gotten uh, what she wanted, which is that she got a healing and Jesus just simply went on. And the, and, and the crowd goes with Jesus, and she's healed, and she goes back home, and she's telling her friends, what would she say? She would say, oh, man, what a powerful healer that man is. I mean, he didn't even know. I snuck up, and I touched his cloak, and I'm healed. Like, that would be her story. Now, what do you think her story would be? It would include that, but that would be just the intro. The story's real center would be about how Jesus looked at her, how Jesus kept encouraging her to tell her whole story, how he listened to her like her story really mattered. That, that, that would be um, her testimony yeah, Jesus didn't want her. Jesus wanted her to know. No, it's personal. It's always personal. Yeah, you don't you don't come to Jesus uh, ritualistically, formalistically. You know, I did my duty, read my Bible, I went to church. Now we're done, right? You know, no. It's like no. Are, are, is this going to be meaningful? Is this going to be personal? 
because I want to hear from you. I want to know your story. And I want you to know that you have a God in heaven who loves you, who calls you daughter, who calls you son. What unlocked this? Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's honest desperation. For her, it doesn't take honesty. It's real, right? It's a disease. But all the healings are meant to be metaphorical. It's, it's meant to give you a picture of our spiritual condition, whether we're physically sick or not. And the challenge of this text is, can we come to Jesus with this level of humility and desperation, knowing, hey, I may look, or, like, I may look like I have it together, but inside, I identify with this bleeding woman. And if only I can touch the edge of his cloak. And Jesus honored that. This woman who came with this, this sort of this flimsy hope and says, hey, that's faith. That's faith. When you've lost hope in other things and you know that, man, like, I'm just getting worse. Maybe Jesus can do something. Jesus says, hey, I want to honor that. Stop. I want to personally relate to you. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Be healed of your disease. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. That's the heart of God. What is God like? God sent Jesus. This is my heart. This is what I'm like. God is, is, is overwhelming. He seems distant, holy, unapproachable. It's hard to put thoughts around who God is other than these philosophical concepts that leave you a little cold. Jesus, the embodied, incarnate, God in the flesh, God, timeless, entered into time. And here is how he treats people. And then, and then he says, this is what God is like. Your creator is also your heavenly father who calls you by this intimate term, daughter, son. And his benediction toward you, his blessing toward you is that you would come to him so that he can declare you healed. Your faith, your faith in coming to me is accepted. Be healed. Come and make meaningful contact with your Savior, with Jesus, with the kind eyes. Before you start your day, start there. Before you build the rest of your life, start there. Before you think that you're going to construct your own identity, why not just accept the identity that your loving Heavenly Father gives you. You know what? You can build a life based on this, that you, you connect with who you are before God. You're a son. You're a daughter. Come before him, admitting your, your brokenness, right? And then hear him say, like he said to this woman, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. That's the heart of God for you. All right, let's pray. I want to just, um, just invite you to have a childlike trust that, wow, this sweet story, this amazing story. Um, 
about how Jesus, on his way to Jairus' house, just stopped and turned and made this personal connection. Like, how, like I want to invite you to just open your heart to this message that this is what God's like. This is his heart for you. Um, maybe you're still trying to be Jairus, you know, powerful, uh, imagining that that would protect you. Um, maybe you identify yourself with a hemorrhaging woman, uh, just sort of life ebbing away. Um, maybe you identify with both or all three, you know, there are ways in which we're just a crowd, just sort of mindlessly, meaninglessly um, living out uh, some thin veneer of religiosity. So how does this message speak to you? And just want to give you uh, just a minute or two uh, to just take it in, uh, kind of uh, try to rub it into your heart and, and maybe pray a prayer back to God. So let's do that.